when I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today is Sunday, January 15th, and the day before the anniversary of the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I encourage you to read some of his works today. If you're a clergy person, I encourage you to read Letter from a Birmingham Jail, which is written to clergy from his jail cell. It's always sobering for me to read that. And also something else that um, he wrote. There's lots of material out there. Uh, I encourage you to do that. The Episcopal Church generally celebrates the life and witness of Dr. King on the date of his martyrdom in March. And that is, um, so we sort of have two moments where we recognize him both with the American political calendar, common calendar, community calendar, if you will, and the uh, martyrdom calendar for our church who recognize holy women, holy men, and the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. It's really hard to imagine why more people weren't hyped up about Dr. King when he was alive. A lot of people were, of course, inspired by his message. He preached at the greatest pulpits and platforms of the land. His last big public sermon was at the Washington National Cathedral in D.C. at the Canterbury Pulpit, the center of the heart of the Episcopal Church in America, in the middle of our political system. His sermon was quite long. It was 44, 45 minutes long, maybe a little longer. And he talked about many of the themes that he had preached about before, His theme was staying awake, and he talked about Rip Van Winkle, who woke up and realized that King George was no longer king, and George Washington had been the president, and um, all the changes that happened in that transition, and we don't want to sleep through the revolution. We shouldn't sleep through the revolution. He was challenging his white audience to get involved in the ways they could and not just sort of wait for everything to play out to see who won. The term woke is being used a lot now to uh, make fun of progressives and liberals or whatever from the, the far right. And even the middle, they're joking about it too. And yet this was the center of King's sermon, and they talked about it a lot. It's from the Bible, to stay woke, to be awake when... Jesus comes back, when the revolution happens, when things are being done to give more justice in the world, when people are being healed and forgiven and loved and restored to a place of dignity. This is the challenge of the modern age is to stay awake because it's so easy to numb ourselves out of facing reality. And so many people have done that. Certainly, um, King addressed the trauma of his own community, and he also addressed the trauma of the white community that would rather not think about injustices in the past that they had participated in or their community had participated in. 
And so this idea of staying awake in the revolution was his last sermon to us from our pulpit in the Episcopal Church. Something to ponder on this weekend and tomorrow as we um, observe this day of remembrance of thanksgiving and service to our community. To notice where God is moving isn't easy, and most people have missed it throughout human history. This is certainly the testimony of the four Gospels, that most people that were around Jesus within arm's reach of him did not really understand what he was saying or doing or enacting in the world. And that is sad, and it's tragic. And the early apostles witnessed to this tragedy in their own lives, that they themselves were having trouble seeing what was happening, of staying awake at the right moment as the kingdom of God was coming to earth. And here we have a snapshot of that in John's gospel. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him. Here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We have this testimony that Jesus is the Lamb of God straight from John the Baptist, the prophet. This is not a um, commonly used metaphor for the Messiah or Jesus up until this point. Certainly the Messiah was to be the shepherd of Israel, not the sheep. Um, And yet here he is the lamb. This is not about the day-to-day life of a sheep or shepherd, which those shepherd metaphors point to. This is about sacrifice. This is about what he is going to enact in his crucifixion and resurrection. This is about how he is going to heal people and bring this message of love and blessing to the world. That is what this message of being the Lamb of God is about. It is, um, it is the real distinction between Christianity and sort of the therapeutic religions or ideas of thought that exist within Christianity too, that we are just doing this to make ourselves better. Why do we go to church? Is it to feel better, to improve ourselves, like we might go to the gym or a concert or a lecture? Um, Possibly those things certainly are true. Um, We sort of pitch church that way as sort of a self-betterment improvement program. Um, And yet, ultimately, this idea of worshiping Jesus is the heart of what we are supposed to be doing in church. The collect for today, the little prayer that we pray, collecting ideas, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshiped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth that all of our Christian faith and practice should point to Jesus. Uh, If Jesus did it, we should too. And that is what Dr. King was pointing to in his sermons, especially the ones that he preached towards the end of his life. He preached about the Vietnam War in his final sermon. And many see that this shift in focus from civil rights not shift in focus, but this additional focus of the civil rights of the world, that we are all connected in the world. And the civil rights struggle in America is not just an American thing, it's a worldwide thing. 
and the Vietnam War is doing damage to human lives and souls, certainly the disproportionate deaths and service of and drafting of black Americans was what he pointed out, and also the suffering of the people of Vietnam, that war is not good for anybody ever. And so these are the things that he emphasized when he was preaching that final sermon. And these are the things that the church should be emphasizing today, pointing to the fact that it is in following Jesus that all of our focus should be on Jesus, not on ourselves. As much as we might want to point to a human who will always let us down, um, it is ultimately Jesus. The reason we venerate Joan of Arc in this church is because, or in the church that I'm part of, if you're listening from far away in podcast land, um, is because she pointed to Jesus and her life and witness pointed to Jesus as a defender of her people, as a witness to the truth. The reason we venerate Mary, the mother of God, the mother of Jesus, is because she shows us Jesus. She gives us Jesus. She points to him in a deep and, per- and personal and intimate way uh, th- that no one else can really fully do. That's why we emphasize all the lives of the saints and exemplary Christians throughout the age because they pointed to Jesus. And the older I get, the more I realize that I have not pointed people to Jesus. In fact, maybe Jesus and I have had some jealousy issues. Well, not Jesus, but me. Jealousy gets all the attention. I want some of that. I want people to quote me. When really, I should be happy that they are quoting Jesus, that they heard through me. It is funny to hear some of Jesus's quotes um, out and about when people quote philosophers or some Stoic philosopher and they find out it's Jesus later. Um, the internet's really helped us with quotes. It's pretty hard to misattribute a quote nowadays, but it still happens. And sometimes that happens to Jesus. At the University of Texas on the the base of the tower that sits in the middle of campus overlooking the Capitol and the statue of George Washington and many others, the big tower uh, inscribed on the base of that monument and building is the words, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That is Jesus talking. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is what Jesus was doing here on this earth and this is why we follow him. Ultimately, everything we do comes back to him. And this is what happens here at the Jordan River with John baptizing He says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that the sacrifice of Jesus takes away the sin of the world. No matter what you've done or left undone, no matter what shameful thing you've participated in that you want to be rid of, to clear your conscience, this is why Jesus came to die. And not just the sin of the world that we have done, participated in, which is sometimes significant, but usually not on a grand scale. Um, It is the ultimate weight of evil in the world, this constant slipping into the self-destruction and the hurting of others, the Holocaust, the genocides, the all the atrocities of the world that seem to pop up so quickly and so uh, just suddenly, um, the atrocities of the Russian army in Ukraine um, happening right now while we are listening to this. 
Um, these are the things also that are pointed out in this sermon that John the Baptist preached about the Lamb of God, that he comes to take away the sins of the world. We need to be reminded of this in word and sacrament, as our colleague says. In word, by reading the words of Jesus, by reading the people who are writing about Jesus, like the apostles in the New Testament, reading the prophets who write about Jesus who is yet to come. Um, these are the, the reasons we read scripture. Christianity is not a, uh, it's a lot of things. It's a religion. It's a lot of things, of course. I'm not trying to say it isn't all those things, but ultimately is following a person. And following this person means that following him is somewhat unpredictable. We don't always know where he is going to take us. But ultimately he is taking us to this place of sacrifice where he takes away the sins of the whole world. You don't have to do it. You can get off the cross now. We need the wood, as they say. Jesus is already there. He is taking away the sins of the world. So the goal of the Christian life is not perfection. It is thankfulness. The goal of the Christian life is not flawless behavior modification, but it is uh, gratefulness and letting our light shine in this joy of knowing we are forgiven and free. This is a scandal to anyone who's trying to do a lot of self-improvement because ultimately it is in resting in this, this work that Jesus has done that gives us this freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then we have this very personal journey at the end of this text in John chapter one, where Andrew brings Peter to Jesus saying, we found the Messiah. Come and see, he says. And it tells us that it's translated anointed. It's translated from the Aramaic, which is translated from the, translated from the Hebrew, Mashiach, the anointed one, the one who's anointed with oil, as kings were in the Old Testament and many others as well. This anointing, this pouring out of oil, olive oil on the top of a person's head, probably rubbing it around in there to get it all through their hair. It drips down their beard. Um, this is the image given to us in scripture of anointing. It's not this little bit on the top of our forehead or something. It's a lot. Um, and this is who they find, the one who God has chosen, the, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus knows him already, and he changes his name. You'll be called Cephas in Aramaic. In Greek, it's Peter, Petros, the rock. Jesus always changes us. This is the thing about self-improvement. The things we really need to improve on are not our self-discipline, not how many times we go to the gym, not how much we run, not how little we drink or little we eat or whatever it is that we're trying to focus on our self-improvement. So maybe we'll be lovable and worthy of love and more people will like us or whatever it is, feel better about ourselves. The transformation that, is, that it happens when we meet Jesus, when we know Jesus, when he knows us, when he calls us, is the transformation of having a purpose in life. And that purpose is what the colic says, to share the light of Jesus to a world that doesn't have a lot of it. Illumined by your word and sacraments, we may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory that he may be known, worshiped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. This is 
the story that will transform us and the world in little ways now and in big ways in the world to come. And you can do this. You really can do this because it's not something you can really do. It is something that he does in us. This story of transformation going from Simon to Cephas or Simon to Peter, this transformation that happens in our lives. This is him becoming his true self. He always was the rock. And Peter was the shakiest of disciples. Judas certainly plans and plots the betrayal, and Peter does not. In fact, Peter plans the opposite. He plans to be strong. He plans to be brave. And yet, he's the one who denies Jesus there on the night he's betrayed. This is the story of all of our lives. The moments that we think we're going to be the strongest, we are often the weakest. And it is in the moments that we are the weakest, that we are the strongest. This is what Jesus offers to us, that kind of life, where at the lowest part of our life, the deepest ditch that we find ourselves in, that he is there with us, showing us what love looks like, showing us that we are loved. And that gives me hope. So let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen.